you may be seated. And there is water available for those who might feel sleepy in this heat. We must endeavor to strive to stay awake so that we may be attentive to the word of God and not fall asleep and miss out on the word of God. Well, uh, before we get into the sermon for today, uh, I would like to express my gratitude to God for uh, healing us <laughs> from the coronavirus and to thank Brother Doe for manning the station when we could not meet uh, publicly and being quarantined for three weeks and also him and his sicknesses and uh, his tooth etc etc and now he was, uh, God was able to preserve. We should be grateful, folks, for all these and many blessings. If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. Uh, verse six to seven. What a wonderful verse. Um, what a wonderful portion of scripture uh, that we will read and try to exposit this morning try to really get into the word of God and and seek to hear from God from his word this morning as we think about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ unto us a child is born chapter 9 verse 6 to, to 7 hear the word of God as it comes to you this morning for to us a child is born to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now there are three points that I want us to see today about this child. And the first thing is that the dominion that he will command. The second one is the designation to unique offices and the last point is the demonstration of true holiness the demonstration that is how i have broken up the passage and seek to show us in this passage this morning what this child will do the domin the dominion he will command the designation to unique offices and the the demonstration of true holiness true holiness let us pray our dear god and father in heaven it will be folly to not give thanks to you and to not ask for your aid this morning 
For without your Holy Spirit and if without your empowerment, this is a futile exercise. We ask, O oh God, that your word may not return to you void, but it may um, accomplish its purposes in our hearts. Help me to be clear, help the hearers to concentrate. And, O oh Lord, may you change us from the inside out through your Holy Spirit. And may you encourage us and spur us on to continue to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in this season. Hear this our cry because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I would like to give a background of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was an aristocrat. He was born into a family of people who were of a high class. And he was God's appointed instrument to prophesy in Jerusalem and was married with two children. According to tradition, Isaiah was martyred. He was severed into two. He was cut into two. And the text in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 37 is the one that is said to allude or speak about Isaiah's death. He ministered in a period of more than 40 years from uh, 7040 BC to 701 before Christ. BC stands for Christ, uh, before Christ. This was a great time of turmoil during Assyrians, due to Assyrian imperialism. This is the time that Isaiah prophesied there were four kings that uh, were there at that time when Isaiah prophesied. Uzziah was one of them. If you read chapter 6 of Isaiah, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted. That wonderful text that we always go to when we think about ultimate worship of God. And so there was King Uzziah, there was Jotham, there was Ahaz, and there was Hezekiah. Hezekiah who was a just and very good king. And so, right about this time of Isaiah chapter 9, there was this king, King Hezekiah. And you will see the connection that I seek to uh, uh, explain later on uh, when, when, it, when it comes to this text how it beautifully comes in and applies uh, this connection of Hezekiah. And, and, and Isaiah predicted that Israel will be exiled, and that, and that did come in about 72, 722 BC, before Christ. And in the second half of the 8th eighth, eighth century, the prophet railed against hypocrisy, cynicism, self-indulgence, and greed. He didn't keep quiet in the face of sin. And these, all these things were bringing the nation of Israel to moral ruin. Isaiah prophesies about the fall of Babylon, the salvation of Israel's remnant. He challenges the people to renew 
their loyalty to God. And Isaiah predicted a servant that was to come, a savior that was to come, much greater than the rulers of the day, much greater than Hezekiah. And this savior was going to redeem his people. He was going to restore his people. He was going to er eradicate injustice and evil. And, and remember, the Israelites themselves were sent into captivity by God into exile because of their idolatry. And, and if you read the prophet Isaiah, you'll see that our, our, our covenant-keeping God is a God who is faithful. He disciplines his children. He disciplines those he loves. He sent the Israelites into captivity. He, to, he, he, he sent prophets to prophesy and that, that the Israelites will be taken out of captivity back home where they were to rebuild the, the, uh, Jerusalem, to rebuild the city walls <coughs> and to be restored, which was the picture of the coming Messiah. The picture of the coming Messiah who was to restore his people. Who was to save his people from their sin. Who was to bring an eternal hope rather than a temporal one. Because the Israelites going back uh, from, to, to, to Jerusalem from captivity was a temporal salvation. It was a temporal restoration. The coming of the Messiah was going to be an eternal restoration. And this is the context. Well, this is the background of the, of the prophet Isaiah. And prophet Isaiah was the mouthpiece of God to his people. And the book itself is divided into two sections. The first part is chapter 1 to 35, which focuses on God's judgment on Israel by Assyria. And the second, uh, second portion of the book is uh, chapters 40 to 66, on the remnant's return from Babylon and their ultimate uh, deliverance in the remote future. So that is the background of Isaiah. I know it's a, it's a mouthful to, to, to swallow. It's something, uh, you know, when you think about it, there was a lot happening in those times. <coughs> Trying to connect Israel's history, what was going on, who was doing what, what was what. But that's, that's really the background. Now, the context in which this child was born, we see in verse 2 of chapter 9, Look at verse 2 there. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. We see that the Assyrian domination of God's people cast the shadow of darkness over the land. And the people, <coughs> and yet there was hope. There was hope. There is a contrast of what has been happening to God's people and the joy that God will bring them. He opens up a new future for those who admit that they are sinners. Look at verse 3. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So that is a picture of hope, of coming restoration, of coming hope for God's people who have been burdened, who have been sent into exile. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. We see that in verse 5, God brings end to war and strife and will bring peace to his people specifically. God will bring peace to his, pe to, to, to his people's hearts through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ saves them from their sin, they will be reconciled to God and thus God bringing peace to their hearts. Then we see the prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The coming of, of this Messiah. If you think about what was happening in that time, there was chaos. It was chaotic. If you think about what's happening in the world right now, it's chaotic. It's still chaos. But the prophecy of Isaiah still stands. It is still ringing true today. <coughs> the prophecy of Isaiah still rings true today. That God will save his people who are desperately afflicted because of their sin and their rebelliousness. And please note the, 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 the verbs used in verse 6. Given, born. The son was given. The son was born. The incarnation was not a mistake. It was not a knee-jerk reaction from God as if he was caught by surprise. But this was deliberate. This was definite. This was specific, perfect, and planned in accordance, in accordance with the counsel, wisdom, and justice, and righteousness of God. The child was going to redeem his people from their sin. This is the context. Now let's get into the text. Number one, I want us to see what the child, unto us this child was born. What this child would do. And we see in the first place that the child will, he, um, the, do, the dominion he will command. And that is seen in verse 6b, or the second part of verse 6. Let us read together. For, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. The dominion he will command, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Friends, this is a vast uh, statement. This is a statement that I could only break into three for now. But we could go even deeper. Firstly, we see that Jesus, this son, will reign as king of the world. The government of the entire world are on 
his shoulders. The Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the throne of God. And what does he represent? Well, first of all, he is not disengaged from the affairs of the world. He is actively involved. He is achieving his purposes. He is reigning. He is ruling. Even if things are chaotic and upside down, things are happening the way they were ordained. There is no mistake in God's sovereign plan. Things are definite. They are specific. The Lord Jesus Christ was given. He was presented and he will command dominion. Christ is victorious. There is a picture that is, that is being painted in world evangelicalism of this begging, tattered, torn, poor Jesus. I want to come into your heart. No! That Jesus is a figment of people's imagination. We are talking about a Jesus who is reigning, who is dominating, he will command dominion. The dominion he will command. And friends, even the reign of evil kings, even the calamities that strike us in this world, even the evils that prevail have been ordained by God. And Christ is sitting above all these things. With the earth as its footstool, as his footstool, at the right hand of God, exalted above everything, and ruling and reigning. That's what it represents when it says that the, the government will be on his shoulders. And Christ has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And therefore, go ye, therefore. You do not have to fear to evangelize, friends. All authority has been given to him. So go ye, therefore. What are you waiting for? Why are you stalling? Go ye, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. And lo and behold... I will be with you forevermore. We see that he has been given the, 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 the keys of life and death. Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. And the living one. <coughs> sorry. And I was dead and behold I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. He has an absolute truth friends on death. The devil has no keys to life or death. The devil cannot give you life. And the devil cannot take your life. Contrary to popular belief, when somebody dies in Africa, oh, it was the devil. You're giving the devil too much praise. Sometimes we give the devil so much praise, it becomes blasphemous. We attribute the attributes of God to the devil. The devil's not reigning. The devil's not domi dominating. The devil's not ruler. The ruler is Christ. 
The government shall be upon his shoulders. The devil does not take away your life. Secondly, when you study this, you come to the conclusion that you can't really exhaust the depths of Christ's dominion. But you see that Christ is also dominating the church. He is the head of the church. I've, I've preached about this for a while to say that since Christ is the head of the church, we have no permission to do as we please. We are to we are to we are to march in accordance to Christ's uh, uh, Christ's tune. We are to do what Christ requires of us exactly the way He said it should be. We are to march His tune like soldiers ready for war. Left, right, left, right. And we see that Christ, if he's ruling the church, he ought to be ruling your hearts. He is the head. He, he is ruling your heart as a Christian. And the question that I have for you today, this morning, is that, are you being ruled by Christ? In other words, are you following obeying the Lord Jesus Christ? When the Lord Jesus Christ says, no to this, you shall not murder. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye, or a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, how is your relationship with your enemies? How is your relationship with your neighbor? How is your affections to the things of God? What is your spiritual temperature? We talk about these thermometers that are sent uh, for us for the coronavirus and we check our temperatures, our physical temperature. Oh, you're well, or oh, you're sick, whatever. But here, what is your spiritual temperature? Where are you, my friend? Because if you are not in Christ, I fear for you. And not even that, but if your affections are towards the Lord Jesus Christ are waning, I feel for you. I fear for you. I, I tremble on your behalf. If Christ is not your king, if Christ is not ruling your life, then I fear for you. And friends, unlike earthly princes whose promises are futile, who lie to people, who will never deliver and be as righteous and as just as the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't know why people don't see that, he is the ultimate ruler and king. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Think about it. What would that have meant to the Hebrew at that time? One who is descended from the throne of David. The Israelites or the Jews were expectant of a Messiah. They were looking forward to a coming Messiah who was going to 
conquer their enemies, who was going to sit on the throne and rule, who was going to uh, eliminate the Romans. But this Messiah was coming to govern the, the hearts of the people, the hearts of his people. And friends, for the Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ governs every part of our life. Every part. Is there a life, is there a part in your life that the Lord Jesus Christ is not governing? Your, your thoughts, your affections, your actions, your inclinations, your desires, are they under Christ's dominion and rule, rulership? Unto us a child is born, and the, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, upon his shoulder. <coughs> Thirdly, friends, when we think about this term, the government will rest upon his shoulders, or his shoulder, it is an allusion for magistrates having a key or a rod laid on their shoulders. It's a, it's a, it's a sort of a passing of authority. It is, a, it is a bestowment of authority. The Lord Jesus Christ has been given authority. He says it himself. I, 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 I have the authority. All authority has been given to me. When he says the government is upon his shoulder, it's almost like someone who has been knighted. You know, uh, when we talk about the, the Queen of England, and you know, in England, people get knighted. You get, you get given some sort of authority or, or honor. Where was the Lord Jesus Christ's honor from? It's from the cross. <laughs> that baby... Who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born under the law, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, he was perfect, obeyed the law perfectly. The government was to be on his shoulder, his crown or honor was at the cross. What was it the bloody cross? And after that, even as he endured death on the cross, endured humiliation from sinful people, from completely depraved people, he was enthroned at the right hand of the Father, exalted and given a name above all names. And he is ruling. And he is reigning. And he will return, friends. We must look forward to eternity. This text gives us an eternal hope. More than a temporal one. Which these Israelites and Jews were, were looking to and looking forward to. We want to be taken out of exile. We want to be taken back home. Please help us. Take us out of this place. We are slaves. And here, right now and today, we cry out, we are slaves to sin. Take us out of this. 
Take us to freedom. Free us. Unshackle us from sin. Unshackle us. Oh God. May we turn from sin to you. May we run. May we flee. All authority has been given to you. Secondly, in this text, I want us to see the designation to unique offices. The Lord Jesus Christ has unique offices. And we see them beautifully brought out in Isaiah. And his name shall be called. And his name shall be called. Which literally means in the Hebrew, his name will be. <laughs> his name will be. Wonderful Counselor. In some instances, they separate the wonderful and the counselor. In some instances, they bring them together. However you look at it, it's still beautiful. <laughs> still true. Still true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of... It's almost like Isaiah breaks into worship. He breaks into awe. This word wonderful in the Hebrew, Pele, means unusual, extraordinary, hard to be understood, incomprehensible. Incomprehensible. For as high for as the heavens, for, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As the east is from the west, so far hath he removed the our transgression from us. Psalm 103 verse 11 to 12 spells out the wonder of God and what he has done for us. What he will do for those in sin. For those that the Father gave him. For the elect. He was to be, he, he is a wonderful counselor. And the word counselor they may be derived from what they called King Hezekiah. Here's the connection that I talked about earlier on. King Hezekiah was a good king compared to the others. Although he also suffered, he was struck by sickness, but he prayed for deliverance. And the Lord heard his prayer and delivered him. But King Hezekiah was known to be a good king and a good counselor. But the word here that is used is specifically designated to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ sits far and high above Hezekiah. The Lord Jesus Christ sits far and above all kings, far and above all rule, far and above all rulers, far and above all all deities, all gods, all ancestors, all things that people worship in this world, the Lord Jesus Christ is far above. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. And this word expresses 
a distinct attribute or quality. It, it, it denotes one of honorable rank. One who is, who, whose counsel will never fail. One who is, when we think about our problems in life, we say, ah, no, I need counseling. I run to a shrink, whatever. Please help me. I need counseling. <laughs> Oh, oh, you know, I've been, uh, uh, I'm someone who's gone through so much trauma. Please help me, I need counseling. Yeah, your counsel is limited. You are not a wonderful counselor. The wonderful counselor is the Lord Jesus Christ, whose, whose wisdom will never fail. Whose wisdom will never be thwarted. Who, who, who knows everything that is happening in this world? Who knows the beginning from the end? Colossians 2, verse 3. Or verse, yeah, verse, God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the wonderful counselor. Friends, when you have issues of sin, issues that you can't deal with, who do you go to? Isaiah was asking or prodding the people that they should run to the wonderful counsel of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one comes close. No one. We see again their mighty God. The offices designated to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Messiah shall be called strength of God. Or strong God. Divine hero. Why was he a divine hero? He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the devil. He doesn't do a half job like we do. Half-hearted. He's not lackadaisical. He does a complete work. He drank the full cup of God's wrath and sipped every last drop. Rather just, oh, I'm just going to do a half-hearted job. No. He's mighty God. Another illusion could even be when you go to Ephesians chapter 6. You see that we do not fight against flesh and blood. Our war, so to speak, or our battle is not against flesh and blood. But guess what? Who can conquer that? The Lord Jesus Christ. Mighty God. And we see there, after mighty God, there is eternal Father. Oh, everlasting Father. Eternal Father or everlasting Father. This denotes 
If you remember correctly, in, jo in the gospel according to John, verse, chapter 14, verse 9, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Father are one, but two distinct persons. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. But they are equal in attributes, equal in mission, equal in purpose, equal in accomplishments. They, they do not contradict each other. And that's why the, here Isaiah says, everlasting Father, to denote that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and the Father are one, although they are two distinct. And, and this everlasting Father or eternal Father will rule forever. Earthly kings leave their people after a short reign. Earthly kings leave their people after a short reign. But he will reign over and bless them forever. Last, last office, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Basically, this it doesn't need a, a, an extravagant exposition. It just simply means that since the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, He is a Prince. And not only that, He's a Prince of Peace. He brings peace to your heart. He brings peace in the church, reconciliation. He's the ultimate peace giver. The world is all screaming, oh, peace, peace, United Nations. The, <laughs> and, 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 and the funny thing is that they don't know where the ultimate peace comes from. Would you look at that? African Union, SADC, when, there's, when, when there are issues going, up, going on, the presidents gather and say, we, are, we want to discuss peace. We want to discuss how to move away, how to go forward. But they do not know what ultimate peace is. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the peace of peace. And, and think about this phrase. What this meant to these people. Because they were not, they didn't have peace. They were in captivity. They were in exile. But unto us a child is born. What comforting words, friends. There are few comforting words in the word of God and few comforting realities and truths in the word of God that wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Oh, this baby. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. The last part there is the demonstration of true holiness as I close. The demonstration of true holiness. Look at what the text says, please. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. One. Secondly, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Why have I said the demonstration of true holiness? 
I'm, I'm just trying to show you a picture of the demonstration of true separateness. The demonstration of true uniqueness. The uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So many times we have a picture of righteousness and, and justice that is hindered by our own sinfulness. In fact, it is shaped by our own perceptions or what we think. We have a way to think, oh, this is justice. This is righteousness. No, no, no. Uh, no justice, no peace. People striking in the streets. We want justice. But hey, the ultimate justice will come from a holy God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We also have a, a narrow and truncated view of eternity. Simply because, well, of eternity, of death, and of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is unique. Perfect. He is God. His uniqueness and even the person and work that he did. In verse 7 we see that there will be the expansion or ultimate authority that Christ has. It is a wonder that is beyond our finite mind. Verse 7, look what it says. Of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. The government will increase. His rulership of his people will increase. How will it increase? Well, when you preach the gospel, people are converted. They are added to his government. He will rule. There's a work for us today. There's a work of the gospel that needs to spread. And people come under the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was the promise to the Israelites, the remnants, the ones who were in captivity. That the government will increase and there will be no end to this peace and to this government. It's eternal. It's not temporal. There comes the theme again of eternity. We are so focused and fixated on what's happening on this planet, on what's happening on this earth. We, we look forward to our own goals and desires, but we miss the eternal focus of the gospel. There will be no end. On the throne of David, which I alluded to earlier on, that Christ was descended from David, Hezekiah himself was a descendant of David. This time the Lord Jesus Christ was to establish it, the kingdom of David, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Friends, I want to I want to make a quick comment. We are going, we go through many things in life. We go through injustices. There are people who will abuse you. People who will mock you. There are people who will dupe you of money. Bad debtors. There are people who will want to murder you. 
Don't worry, brother. I'm not <laughs> targeting you. <laughs> the people who would murder your family members. The people who, who may murder you. For example, in Zambia, a couple of days ago, someone was shot. Innocent civilian. Was shot dead. Broad dealer. Who establishes justice and righteousness? Who defines it? We must be careful of not jumping the gun. We have a righteous judge. We have an advocate. Every injustice that has happened and that will happen will be accounted for. We have to take heart, friends, in that. Every abuse, even in the body of Christ, everything will be brought to light. Oh, what wonder. And oh, how I fear. Oh, how I fear for those who are committing unrighteous acts. And oh, who I, how I fear for those who are still in sin and darkness, who are still living a rebellious life, who are still shaking their fists at God, who are still living a lifestyle of debauchery and orgies and all these ugly things. And all those who are holding on to the world and holding on to money and holding on to fame and holding on to the fruitless, baseless, useless things of this world. Oh, how I feel. Oh, how I feel. And lastly, we see in that text of demonstration of true holiness, we see the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, which just simply means that God himself has promised to accomplish this, and he will do it. Best believe. Do it. Unto us a child is born, born in a stable, born of a virgin, born under the law, yet sinless. Think about this. The sinlessness of Christ guarantees that those with sin should run to him. In fact, it doesn't guarantee, it warrants you have sin run to the sinless to the sinless one the one who obeyed the the law perfectly why would you want to uh, try to work for your salvation when you have sin why would you, it's folly it's stupid why would you try to get yourself out of sin when you are not sinless we have a sinless advocate. We have a sinless priest. We have one who is interceding on our behalf and saying, these 
are mine. These are mine. All those who are broken, <laughs> sinful, who've got weaknesses that we don't even know of. You can never truly know what is in your own wife's heart. But God knows. Neither can your wife know what is in your heart. Truly. I cannot search your heart, brother and I cannot. I cannot. I can only see, I only know what's on the surface. And what you bring out. But in the depths of the heart of someone, there the Lord Jesus Christ is searching. And he knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. Now the question is, have you believed in him? Have you believed? He is, he is the one that demonstrated that he is the one who is able and qualified. There is a specific office for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is qualified to take away sin. Romans 10 verse 10. For if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he was raised from the dead or resurrected from the dead, you will be saved. And Paul continues to write this marvelous piece. In chapter 10 verse 11, he goes on to say those who come to him will not be turned away. Won't you run to Christ today, friend? Won't you run to Christ? Even if we are Christians, we ought to continue to run to Christ for the myriads of sins we have. For the myriads of remaining sin. We ought to run to Christ with it. You've got a problem with you keep on falling into sin, run to Christ. You are lethargic with your evangelism, run to Christ. You can't seem to read your Bible. Oh, it's, uh, this season is tough, I can't read my Bible. I've never been praying. Run to Christ. That baby that was born. Unto us, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. What, what, what wonderful words for those in captivity. And what wonderful words for us today. Amen.